0: We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 41. And it struck me, I mean, it shouldn't surprise me any longer, but our Lord is in charge of all things, knows the beginning from the end. But as on Good Friday, we were in Psalm 22 as we're going through the book of Psalms. It just so happens for the Easter season and for the resurrection day, we're in the book of Jonah. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you find that Jesus pointed specifically to the sign of Jonah as the proclamation and the proof that he is the Messiah, the Savior of all. And so we find ourselves there this morning. And as y'all are still turning there, if you've already found your spot, join with me as we've asked the Lord to just speak to us from this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, this is... This day has so much joy and so much hope in it as we remember what happened so long ago. Jesus died on Calvary on Friday, but Lord, we know that on Sunday he rose again and he's alive today. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from the words of Jesus, from this sign that he pointed to, Father God. May we not look for any other reason to call Jesus Lord but the sign at which he gave, the sign of Jonah. And may we know from that sign of Jonah, Father, that we have all the promises. We have all the hope. We have new life. We are a new creation. We have been made new. He's coming back for us And he's promised us eternal life with him. We thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're going through the series Majoring in the Minors on Sunday morning. We're walking through the 12 minor prophets. We're in the book of Jonah, but we're turning to Matthew this morning because as we are learning that God spoke long ago through those prophets, that God through those prophets speaks even today. The study of Jonah has led us to Easter Resurrection Sunday, and the cool thing about the story of Jonah, about the prophet's life, is this. His experience is a prophecy that Jesus points to specifically, and he calls it the sign of Jonah. There are people that are searching all over for proof that God exists for evidence that God cares. They they want a sign. They want something tangible to their senses that God exists and Jesus is the savior that he claims to be. I want you to know this morning, this sign has already been given in the sign of Jonah. Christianity is based upon this sign. It doesn't matter what else happens in this world, it doesn't matter what miracles you see, it doesn't matter what great things somebody says. If without the sign of Jonah, there is no Christian faith. It's the chief sign that points to Jesus as Messiah. It establishes the claims of deity, and it proves him savior of all, including you and me. It's the greatest sign ever given. It's the chief cornerstone upon which the Christian faith is based. And so our text this morning in Matthew 12 brings us to the point, Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees. He had just cast out a demon, okay? Understand that he's giving them the sign of Jonah after he just cast out a demon. The crowds were declaring, they were asking, they were saying amongst themselves, could it be? Is this him? Is this the son of David? And then the Pharisees came and they said, whoa, 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 whoa! hold your horses. This guy's casting out demons by Beelzebub, ruler of the demons. And Jesus basically goes and says, hey, a house divided against itself cannot stand. In other words, he's saying, you're claiming that I'm casting out demons because I am a demon is a completely absurd now we're going to pick up the conversation in Matthew 12:38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, "Teacher, we want to see a sign from you." He answered them, "An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. As we consider the sign of Jonah, I want you to see. They, they came and they said, we're wanting a sign. We want a sign. In fact, they come. The scribe said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Sounds very authentic, right? They're even calling him teacher. Show us a sign. Prove to us what you claim. And we'll believe that you're the Messiah. On the surface, as I said, it looks authentic. It's a genuine request, right? They're open to receive more evidence. How many people do we run across that? Well, just show me, just answer me this one question. Just tell me this one thing. And you tell them that one thing, right? Does it ever solve it? Do they ever go, oh, you're right. Okay, here we go. They refer to him as teacher. The funny thing is the only time the Pharisees ever referred to Jesus as teacher, they meant anything but a teacher for them. It's a false admiration. as I said, many seekers today make the same claim. They say, Jesus, oh, what a great teacher. But they stop short of saying God and Savior. C.S. Lewis, in his famous quote of Lord, lunatic, or liar, says this, A man who was merely a man said all sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who said he was a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And he said, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He's not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. See, the Pharisees and anybody else that you run into who dismiss Jesus' claims already, seen his works, know what he's done, and they're saying, oh, I just want to see another sign, or I just want this. They're, they're just looking for one more way to reject Jesus as Messiah. You see, their demand for signs, it's an indication of their unbelief, not their desire for faith. Jesus had just cast out a demon from a man who was blind and unable to speak. And then Jesus healed the man so that he could both speak and see. That's three miracles right in front of them. And it's not the only time Jesus has ever healed. Jesus has healed many times throughout the Gospels. That's what the Gospels are about. They record all the things that Jesus did to point to him as Messiah, to point to him as Son of God, to point to him as the Son of Man, the suffering servant. It's not the first demon cast out either. It's the first of many such exorcisms done by Jesus in the presence of the Pharisees who, mind you, have never cast out a demon, ever. Those that are demon possessed, they said, that's it, they're done, they're gone. Just kick them out of society, we'll be done with them. You see, when someone doesn't believe and has decided in their heart not to believe, more evidence will not help them to believe. At this point, it is a heart issue, not an evidence issue. One of my favorite books, one of the first Christmas gifts I ever got for my wife, is a book by Josh McDowell. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And the first thing he opens with, he says, before you read this book, because it's his entire research, and, and it's not in any orderly fashion, it's like his research notes put into a book, and he says, before you read this, that when talking with someone, before I even share evidence with them, I ask them, if you see evidence to point to Jesus being Lord and Savior... Were you willing to surrender to Jesus and ask him to be your Savior? When they say no, there's no reason to go further. They will not surrender, no matter how much evidence you provide. Jesus also told the Pharisees in Matthew 16:3 in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. He's saying you you can see the sign and know when seasons are changing, but you're ignoring the signs that you already have before you. And we remembered the parable that Jesus told. It's a parable based on truth and fact in this. Lazarus and the rich man remember they both ended up dying Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham and the, and, and the rich man goes to uh hell uh, the holding place before um judgment time and he's going just let Lazarus dip his finger in the cool water and touch my tongue to cool it off and he's like no you had your comfort while you lived now he will be comforted because he had no comfort and then he says, well, at least I got seven other brothers. Let me go back and share with them so that they know, so that they don't end up here. And Jesus says in the, in the parable, he says, no, Father Abraham, and, and, and he said, no, they'll never believe. And he says, no, Father Abraham, he tells him, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. The world wants a sign because the world is not willing to use the evidence and the, and the information and the sign that's already there. If you are here this morning, I, I pray that you know that millions of people, billions of people in history, worldwide, do not get up on Easter Sunday and celebrate something that's a lie, a fiction, and is not true and has not changed their life. But there is a sign that was given. There's one sign that was given. And that's what Jesus said. He says, An evil and adulterous nation or generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he doesn't just leave them there either. Look at what he tells them. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus responds to their request for a sign where the teacher, show us a sign. He rebukes them because he sees right through their their, um, superficial act. He says, a wicked and perverse generation demands a sign. He saw their request for what it was. It wasn't them going, just, just show me a sign. That's all I need, Jesus. They're like, show us a sign. Prove who you are. Jesus saw it as a demand. And he says, no sign's going to be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. They would not get a sign they, they sought, but they would be given a sign that they were not seeking. Now, Christ Miracles, as I said, they they were great and many. In fact, John in his gospel said, if I were to record all the things that Jesus had done, there would not be enough books in the world to contain them. And he worked as many uh, uh, amazing signs of God's power and ministry and his works testified him. And Jesus even said this, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. The works testified of him. The works were the sign. But Christ said that there would be a primary sign to identify him as the Messiah, and it would be the sign of Jonah. So what's the sign of Jonah? It's exactly what he described there. "As As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now, we know because we're going through the prophet Jonah's book right now on Sunday mornings. Jonah was a prophet sent by God to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, Israel's enemies. And he was to go and warn them of God's judgment if they didn't repent. But Jonah didn't want to go. Because of their wickedness, Jonah would rather see them destroyed. So Jonah flees in the opposite direction, gets on a ship headed to Tarshish, modern-day Spain, And while on the ship, a storm arises that God caused in it, and Jonah is discovered as the one who brought it, and he's tossed overboard into the sea. While in the sea, Jonah is swallowed by a great fish provided by God. And after three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Jonah is vomited onto dry land. Jonah goes to Nineveh and completes the commission of God. So what's the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is that he is a typical prophecy, a, a typical prophecy, if you will. He, what Jonah went through, it's a type of what Jesus as Messiah would go through. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, Jesus would be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah pointed to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, but also the timing Of the resurrection, you see, our God is a God of perfect timing. Daniel, the prophet, foretold of the exact timing of the Lord's first coming. In. Hundreds of years in advance, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he writes, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. That is everything that must happen in the end for history to be over with. And then Daniel says, No and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven weeks is a week of years. So you have seven years and then 62 sevens, which altogether, if I remember my math correctly, 483 years. And that's at the time in which the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the day that Jesus walked, where they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. It knew to the day. That's why Jesus wept when he said, if only you knew the day of your visitation. If you were paying attention, you would know. It was prophesied down to the day. Daniel 9.26 says, after those 62 weeks, The anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. That's Jesus' death. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood. And until the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. As I said, that's why Jesus, when he said, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. That provides us with the understanding that the death and resurrection of the Savior would also occur at the perfect time with the perfect timing. He couldn't be killed in the middle of that week. It had to be at the end of the week in order for that prophecy to be fulfilled. In John 7.30, It's recorded. Then they tried to seize him. They tried to seize Jesus. They were already hated him back in John chapter seven. They tried to seize him. He says, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But in Mark 14, 41, in in the play that the kids put on, remember the scene in the garden? He came to them a third time. What are you doing? You're still sleeping and resting. Enough. Enough. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The funniest thing about it all to me is this the Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying about the timing. They knew Christ had given them an exact timetable. In Matthew 27, verse 62, when they took Jesus off the cross and they put him in the tomb, the next day which followed was the preparation day. And the chief priests and the Pharisees in Matthew 27:62, said, gathered before Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, after three days, I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb may be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. And then the funniest statement in the world was when Pilate responded, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you know how, as if you could secure anything from the power of God. So they went and secured the tomb by setting the seal on the stone and placing the guards. You see, the sign is that there's a period of time and then the resurrection three days and three nights. So, the question everybody asks, and it has to be asked, and we have to answer it because this is how the uh, atheists, this is how the non believers, how the rejectors of Jesus will argue against this. They will say, but he wasn't dead a literal 72 hours. No, because if he was dead a literal 72 hours, he would have been resurrected in the late afternoon, not the early morning. We know this. How do we account for the discrepancy? There are some who will move the date back. There are some who will say that he was crucified even as far back as Wednesday. Others will say, well, there's two Sabbaths in that week of of Passover, and so it was on Thursday that he was actually crucified. I want you to know that it doesn't matter what date you put it on necessarily. Here, Here's what they were saying. Three days and three nights is an expression of speech that doesn't require 72 hours at all. It's a Hebrew, it's a he- Hebrewism. It's a idiomatic expression that is any part of three days, one whole day and any part of the other two days on either side of it. But let me approximate to you what the timetable looks like. Jesus died approximately 3 p.m. on Saturday, day one. Jesus was in the grave Friday night and Saturday day, day two. Jesus rose on Sunday morning, day three. He said, on the third day I will rise. Not after three days I'll rise because that's on the fourth day. Jesus said on the third day he would rise. To follow literal 72 hours would mean that he rose on the fourth day. Another consideration is found in the wording of what Jesus said in Luke. Jesus said in Luke 24, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Look at the words in which it says, "betrayed into." When you look at the sign of Jonah, consider this. When Jesus was subjected to the men as Jonah was subjected to the fish being swallowed the night in which he was betrayed, you have night one. Friday, the day of the actual crucifixion and death is day one and night two. Saturday in the tomb is day two and night three. Sunday rising again on the third day. Jesus, as Jonah, may not have died on the first night, but it seemed as death all the same no longer under his own control, under his own authority. He no longer went where he wanted to. He was delivered and sent where he was going. He was handed over. And it isn't speculation that the Pharisees wouldn't believe the sign, but it's what happened. They'd been given the sign. They rejected it. Look at Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 12. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers, the soldiers guarding the tomb, they gave him a sum of money and they told him, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. And if this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. As a Roman soldier in those days, if you were made to guard anything, if you lost it, if anything happened to it, your life was a forfeit. Here, they devised a plan for them to lie, and they said, don't worry, you won't die over it, but we need you to say that they stole the body. They fell asleep. How did they come and steal the body? If, if you've ever seen the tombs, and, you, and understand how big a stone... I, I dig out stones in my yard as I'm... As I'm Gardening and things like that. And sometimes those stones are pretty large. Those are heavy. Now imagine one large enough to block the entrance to a tomb. You think they're going to come and they're going to move it quietly? Shh, they're sleeping. They knew what had happened. They refused to believe. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... It's not more evidence that you need. Maybe look and see what evidence you've been refusing. They understood the significance of what happened. It's why they bribed the guards to say the disciples stole the body. Because if Jesus rose from the grave, it meant that they were wrong and their whole way of life was about to change. And that was the one thing they were fighting against. They didn't want it to change. So what's the proper response? Verse 41, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus reminds the Pharisees. He says, look, Nineveh repented at the appearance of Jonah. But this generation has not repented at the coming of the Messiah, who's preached the coming of the kingdom of God. And he says, because of that, Nineveh will stand and condemn this generation for all they had was Jonah. All they had was the prophet Jonah. Imagine Nineveh in steeped in its sin and all they have is a prophet to go to him who didn't even want to go to them, who wouldn't even preach the complete message. All, all he said 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he says. But look, they had something greater than Jonah here who's preaching. God is coming. There will be a judgment. But look, I've come that you might have forgiveness of your sins so that you don't have to face judgment. Yet they don't repent. Stinging point number two is this. The Gentile Pagan nation repented. The people of God are rejecting. Nineveh it received its message from God through Jonah, who is sinful, rebellious, and foolish. This nation of the Jews is receiving its message from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, one of them, from the line of David, the promised Messiah who is without sin. Jonah preached only doom. Christ came preaching with mercy, grace, and salvation. Commentator Hendrickson put it this way Less enlightened people obeyed less enlightened preaching, but more enlightened people refused to obey the light of the world. We will be held accountable for the information of which we are given. Luke 12:48 says the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating from everyone who has been given much much will be required and from the one who has been entrusted with much more even much more will be expected. Nineveh didn't get the full message. They repented yet the same Israel had the complete revelation of God and they rejected. That's why their judgment is much stricter. When you see in there where God has blinded them, where God has put them on the shelf, where God is going to provoke them to jealousy through the Gentiles, through the church, understand that's why. They were given much more, they had a bigger responsibility. Jesus said this If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse. For their sin. In the same way, if you've heard the word of God preached and you've heard that you need to repent of your sins and you've heard that Christ died and rose again so that you can have forgiveness of your sins, you are guilty for your sins. You are responsible for that. It's either you pay for them at judgment or you allow Christ's sacrifice on the cross to pay for them now. You need to repent. Repent. That's what Jesus is telling You need to repent. The sign is to show you who I am and listen to my message. Jonah, when he was spit out by the whale, by the fish, he, he was bleached white from the belly of the fish right after a nation had suffered pandemic, looking sickly and ghastly. Jesus rose from the grave and his people went out and preached with such a power and such a passion. If it was fake, it would be ridiculous to live for that. It would be ridiculous. Nobody dies for a lie that would only promises them that everything would be taken from them and that they would be martyred. The message of Jesus was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And to repent is to change direction and turn to God and turn to his leading. In fact, this is what's preached. Acts 3.19 on Pentecost. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Christ didn't come to condemn. We're condemned already. He came to offer us the salvation through forgiveness. Paul writes in Romans 2, 4, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Most people think God is angry and waiting. He's all, I can't wait to judge them. The opposite is true. God doesn't want to judge. He wants people to find forgiveness and salvation through Christ Jesus. But he, he's not gonna allow you to be just, he's not just gonna ignore what you've done. It has to be dealt with, either in judgment or through the cross. There's no other way for your sins to be dealt with. And the truth is this, stinging point number three to the Pharisees, Jesus is saying anyone can be saved. Even those stinking Ninevites Yet you Jews refuse to be saved. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 1 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In, in, in Hebrew thinking, you're either Jew or you're Greek, you're either Jew or you're Gentile. That's how the world was split to them, and that's what Paul is saying. Everyone who believes, the Jew and the Greek, everyone who believes can find salvation through Christ Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. That's the message of the cross. God's faithfulness is on display and his mercy is on display in spite of our own rebellion. God doesn't want anybody to perish, but rather would all come to repentance. He works to rescue, to forgive, and to restore us. In truth, the sign of Jonah reveals the Savior of the world, the one through whom there is forgiveness of sin. The sign of Jonah, it's not the miracle of the burial, but that in the resurrection, there was an end to the death, to the period of death, three days, three nights. The sign of Jonah is also a sign of God's sovereignty. It's a sign that he's in control, and it's all according to his plan. Jonah, from the storm to the stomach, as God prepared in advance, and Jesus went from the cross to the grave so that the stone could be rolled away, all according to God's sovereign plan. which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the Son, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who is appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Promised beforehand through the prophets, the sign of Jonah. Peter the Apostle puts it this way, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world But was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The sign of Jonah is a sign of salvation, the resurrection is the reason for our hope. Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead in three days that we might be saved from our sin and hope in the resurrection of the dead. That's why we gather on Easter Sunday. That's why it's the most glorious day to me out of the year because Easter Sunday is a reminder that Christ rose. The sign showing that because he rose from the dead, so shall we and we shall be with him forever heavenly father lord this morning i just pray that you would shine that light of the hope in the resurrection that light that maybe first broke through the darkness of the tomb as the stone was rolled away father shine that light in our heart that we might once again bask in that glorious hope of the resurrection of christ it is not something that we wished were true it's not something that we have to fake to be true. But Father, it's something that's been proved over and over and over again to be true. And those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior know him in their heart. They know the resurrection already as their life has been transformed from dead to living. And So Father, this morning... As we prepare to leave from here, let us not hold on to this message for ourselves, Father, but that we would be proclaiming that message out, that Christ is risen, Christ is here, Christ is alive, and he's still saving today. Because you are a God who saves. In Jesus' name, amen.